episode of Talking Movies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rod Sunny. I'm your other co-host, Sam. Thank you for joining us. We made it to the top tens again. I, I feel like we did our like last year's top ten pretty recently. Does it not feel like it's kind of zoomed by? Even it just weirder? feels like we're in the purgatory from March <laughs> until now. But it's like it's also weird because like I, I think at the end of the day, this year actually had a lot of good movies even though oh, yeah. like, no. stuff was gone to streaming and, and a lot of stuff got delayed i, I even squeezed in a couple more before this episode not oh did today. you really not today though i didn't watch no. it today i watched them on th- christmas it was not christmas uh new year's eve you gave yourself some time to process <laughs> for once i yeah i also i crammed on a few movies throughout the week just because there was stuff that i knew i wanted to watch before making the list um but like speaking of that what is there like because you know we weren't able to get to the theater and see certain things this year is there anything that you might have missed that you think might have had the potential to make your top 10 uh, maybe first cow i was look really looking forward to it when i saw the trailers for when i was going to the angelica for, i don't know which movie i saw i mean i think it was a portrait of a lady on fire i saw like this 15 year. years ago <laughs> and like in february or something i was like I remember seeing the trailer for first cow. i was like this looks interesting to me so it could have probably c- cracked top 20 but i think i've seen most of the stuff i was supposed to see this year you know usually i watch like maybe 80 plus movies a year mm-hmm. i counted it it's mm-hmm. at 40 like, like every year i rank every single movie i watch on letterbox i make a list for it mm-hmm. this year's at 45 okay but in total i watch 122 because okay. of like the supplemental stuff from you know years past yeah i um I still saw a lot of movies this year. I guess uh, for, to answer the question that I asked you, the one big one that I, that we missed was Promising Young Woman, mm. and that like that was just released on Christmas Day. We've been anticipating that since Sundance, but then you know it only got really a theatrical re- release. It didn't get a VOD release yet, so I, I feel like that had the potential, especially because I'm such a big Carrie Mulligan fan, to make my top ten. So I'm kind of bummed I didn't see that. But, but actually, I would I would say yeah, the Vanessa Kirby movie that's supposed to come out on Netflix would probably Pieces would've... of a Woman. Yeah, Pieces that, of a Woman. Yes. That was another one that like I, I think had the potential. The reason I, I we like discussed about we discussed this and we were like maybe we can just you know wait because that was going to come out on Netflix I think in two weeks so we we're like you know because of the subject matter maybe it won't be like a top ten movie it might be like a top ten performance so maybe we can do it before then so that was our reasoning there but uh, I, I think like similar to what you're saying I, I definitely saw a good amount I actually saw ninety movies this year <laughs> ninety new releases um, so normal year for you I guess <laughs> no yeah it's actually like I, I'm usually like at hundred thirty the thirty list yeah, yeah I'm like at hundred and twenty the past couple years uh but counting like old movie i i didn't even count all that but i I, i'm close to like probably 200 if i count old movies so like i still had a good year for movies just like kind of shift in in dynamics and whatnot oh maybe the the movie with anthony hopkins the father oh the father yeah when does that come out no clue Uh, i I really (laughs) want to see that yeah i forgot about that one um there's a few oscar contenders i guess that are going to be released february 26th Okay. Oh, so it's it's technically a 2021 movie. So we yes. Just in our top ten for next year, if it is end up being that good. Um, but yeah, let, let's go ahead and get into it. So what we're gonna do here, we'll talk about our top ten. Um, similar to how we always do it, we will. If one of us has a movie that's like a ten, and the other one has it at five, we'll discuss it when we get to the five. Um, so so we'll hold off on those discussions until the higher number is. is uh, released or announced um and then we'll go ahead and mention some honorable mentions at the end but um let's just start counting down what, what was your number 10 movie of the year number 10 was ma Rainey's black bottom just because of the fact that the performances in that movie were astounding especially with chadwick it's his oscar to lose you know we recently reviewed this movie i think was it 
two Christmas weeks two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to go get, get too deep into it, but you know, it's a solid movie overall. I mean, it's based on the play, a lot of dialogue, but the monologues um, given by Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman are fantastic, and I, had, I was completely enamored by their performances. So that's why I hit my top ten. The performances in that one are certainly enough to like get on anybody's top ten. I completely understand, and just because Chadwick's performance, we talked about it, like it was probably the performance of the year. Mm-hmm. Like I, I certainly understand the reasoning there, and and I really like that movie. It didn't quite top uh, crack my top even twenty five, but but I did quite enjoy that one. And we yeah we discussed it a couple weeks ago, so go back and listen to that episode. Um, my number 10 is The Assistant. Did you get a chance to catch The Assistant? Ooh, no, I did. I missed that one. Yeah, that one was, I think it premiered at TIFF last year, and then it came to Sundance this year, and then it got picked up, um, and then it ended up streaming on Hulu, so that's where I ended up catching it, like, halfway through the year. This is the one um, starting starring Julia Gardner from Ozark fame. Um, she plays basically an assistant to a Harvey Weinstein-type character it's not explicitly said but it's more or less that character was modeled off of harvey weinstein um i felt weird like saying that this was one of my favorite movies of the year just because of the subject matter um but but like it's such a powerful movie because i mean first off like julia gardner just carries this thing astoundingly she's like she's in every single scene she's in every single shot for her to carry this thing at her like stage of her career i think is pretty incredible but also like it, it just shows like the brutal and harsh realities of the world of like filmmaking and how you have to like work your way up and what people do to work their way up and it's you know it's traumatizing but it's so effectively done um it's timely as well and i I really think that this was one of the strongest movies i saw throughout the entire yeah this is surprising to me just because of the fact that it is a very depressing movie and you're not you're not really high on depressing movies (laughs) yeah it it just like i think when I think of like some of the movies that tackled like difficult subject matter, this one handled it in the most effective way for me, like in terms of the way that it made me feel after watching it. Mm, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, what's your number nine? Number nine. I'm actually I'm, I'm gonna judge you if you're, you're just you, Raj, or anybody listening. If Borat two isn't in your top ten, uh, Borat is not in my top ten. Because <laughs> Borat two is probably the most insane time I've had watching movies this year. It's insanely effective. Sasha Baron Cohen is a comedic genius. He knows exactly how to bring out people's prejudices and without them even realizing it and making making them the butt of the joke and thinking that they're a part of the joke. And you know, he he is able to seamlessly just tackle these very tough subject matter in the most hilarious and most insane way possible ways possible and it's just like you know just a really fun movie to watch and you know i'm going for i i'm blanking on her name the the Um, actor bakalova Bakalova, I'm I'm banking on her to get the the supporting actor win, not yeah. nom. Win. Oh, win! You're you're predicting win. a win. Wow. I'm thinking they win. Do you think it's gonna get any other nominations? Because like I could see screenplay definitely getting in there, and, uh, and like Sasha Baron Cohen, like he's maybe a, a far cry, but like I think he's still like in talks, right? I would say I would say yeah, Sasha with for this movie or with the uh, Trial of Chicago Seven, but I was gonna say uh, Wuhan flu for original song. <laughs> <laughs> Do you actually think it has a chance? I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I, Sasha Baron Cohen was talking about how he wants to perform it at the Oscars. So oh, that would be I'm so hoping. good. That I'm would hoping. Be, that would be so good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we talked about it a while back. Like, I guess the movie came out, like, what, around Thanksgiving time, if I'm not mistaken? Um, yes. Even earlier than that. But uh, like I, I love, like, the political humor side of it, but it was just the gross-out humor that I didn't really quite attach myself to. I still had a lot of fun <laughs> with this movie, uh, but not not enough to put it into my top ten, unfortunately. Um, but I, I did love that movie, and I agree with you. Maria Bakalova, like, if she, if she at least doesn't get nominated, I think that'll be one of the biggest surprises of this year's award season honestly mm-hmm. my number nine is mangrove the entry in steve mcqueen's small axe series i, I know some mm. people have been considering this like 
TV, but it's a movie. It's a two hour and seven minute long experience. Um, it's the longest of the small X series. I didn't watch all of them, but I got the chance to cram a few of them before this episode. Mangrove, I think, was the strongest of what I saw. Um, this is obviously on Amazon Prime, but you know, Steve McQueen, I think it's it's easy to say that he's like a genius. I think we all know that by this point behind like everything that he's done up to this point in his career, I think has been at least good, if not great. Um, but this, I mean, like the way you're talking about Trial of Chicago 7. Um, I think this is a better version of Trial of Chicago 7 just because it's a courtroom drama. It's about, you know, a trial that ensued wrongly, more or less ensued because of the outcome of a certain, you know, protest that was going on, the dispute between police and a certain subset of, of people. And that part of it, I think, is, you know, it does go toe-to-toe with Trial of Chicago 7 in terms of the way that movie does it. Um, but, but what I think puts this movie just a step above Chicago 7 for me personally was the fact that this, like, it gave an insight into to like a certain subset, a certain culture, like a group of, you know, African-Americans living in London at this time in 1970s London and how like how they racially disputed with the cops and what that sort of, you know, dialogue was like between those two groups. And, it, you know, it like the, the thing Mangrove, it's based off of the title of the movie is based off a restaurant that's like the centerpiece of the movie where, you know, the people of this community come to hang out and just relax. And it's just so like interesting to see how these people come to this restaurant. And like, there's like a line in the movie where like the owner of the restaurant is talking to somebody and the guy that's talking to the owner of the restaurant says, you, you know, now that the mangrove is not your restaurant, it's our restaurant. So like the fact that it added that sort of like element of perspective to it, I, I think it just put it a co- cut above some of these other courtroom dramas that I saw this year. This is the one with John Boyega, correct? No, no, this is the one with Letitia Wright. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah, we forgot to mention the fact that he, made, McQueen, essentially made five movies this year. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. With the with the small act series, and we forgot to mention the fact that it's coming out on Amazon. It's out on Amazon now mm-hmm. with the subscription of, of Prime, of course. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I, I'm meaning to watch this one, so I'll probably watch it this week and give it a review for next week. Yeah, I think we just didn't talk about it because it got lost in like the Thanksgiving like right. sort of shuffle and everything. Mm-hmm. And then um, yeah, there was the I I I crammed the all the ones that I saw I crammed this week. So and there's still a couple that I still need to watch. So um, but I would. Definitely recommend i watched the john boyega one too it's good but i think this one was better okay yeah i mean but they're all good though so far yeah, they're, right? they're good yeah they're all good that i've seen okay number eight for me is the sound of metal and if it wasn't for chadwick boseman i would have been going for uh, riz ahmed as the lead actor for this year because you know if you're talking about movies that are just like heartwarming and tackle tough subject matter and is able to be both contemplative and also exhilarating at the same time you're going to be talking about the sound of metal because of the fact that Rizamet's performance in this movie pretty much encapsulate or just pretty much brought to light the something that's pretty much overlooked in today's society in regards to like how deaf people perceive the world and you know people who have had hearing in the past and developed these like hearing illnesses throughout their or, um throughout their life and then suddenly lose their lose their hearing and you know i would feel like any, anybody's experience, especially a musician, he's a musician in the movie who loses his hearing, would have the same reaction, the same, you know, I guess, journey and the same ambitions that as Riz Ahmed's character had. And that's why I put it at my number eight. I have it a little bit higher than you, so I'm going to hold off on talking uh, about it right okay. now. Um, okay. My number eight is One Night in Miami. And this was one that you were actually a little bit more mixed on than positive, right? Correct. I gave it three out of five stars. I don't know why I put it on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one that we saw at Middleburg, obviously. 31. Um, 31. Okay, out of 40-something, you said? <laughs> 45. 45. So that's pretty low, actually. I'm, I'm surprised yeah. that it's that low. Um, Regina King, the directorial debut, starring a, a bunch of different actors, Kingsley Benadir, Eli Gorey, Leslie Odom Jr., and Aldous Hodge, uh, playing, you know, four heavyweights from, you know, the history, especially 
like you know american history but also african-american history uh malcolm x muhammad ali sam cook and jim brown um what, what I liked about this movie so much was it's like a hangout movie kind of, you know, these guys are just spending a night together. They're discussing, they're having dialogue. Some of it is casual, but, but what Regina King like sort of adds to the hangout movie is this sense of urgency in my opinion, because like the conversations evolve from, you know, just casual sort of talking shop about whatever, just having fun, teasing one another to like, you know, about their place in society and what like being, them like a person of Muhammad Ali's stature in like 1970, 1980s, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s America. Like how does that sort of shape who you are, your being? What is your role in society? How do you approach that? How do you react to that? I just thought that that dialogue added so much more weight to this movie. And like, I think Regina King has a very promising career as a, as a director, but like these actors, I mean, all four of them are just astounding. And like, I would, I would not be surprised if all four of them end up getting nominated for the Oscars. That's how good they are. And it's based off a stage play. So you kind of see that coming, but uh, I'm curious, like if you could reiterate a little bit of why it was a little bit lower on your list. Well, I think it's because of the fact that I'm not really attached to the figures in the movie as much as I could be. Like I know who Muhammad Ali is, but I never watched his like fights. You know, I listen to Sam Cooke's music um you know i've been meaning to read malcolm x's biography for like the longest time now i actually i actually bought a copy and it's like sitting in my closet collecting dust <laughs> and i don't have really any attachment to jim brown and i think the reason i put it so low on my list is because you know i didn't know what the movie was about i see these four huge figures in american history just talking amongst each other as friends but for the first like hour of the movie like the first half of the movie there's like not much going on so i was thinking of what the purpose of the movie was and then it starts to kick off between like a, a battle of ideals between malcolm x and sam cook and seeing how you know leslie odom and um what's his name benadir uh kingsley benadir yeah kingsley benadir both like you know portray these characters these characters of these actual real life people so well um the second half is infinitely better than the first half the first half is just something that kind of you know it's it's plodding along it takes its time it kind of drags its feet a little bit that's why i put it lower on my list it, it's funny that you say that because like that balance uh the way that it balances the first half being a little bit sort of about you know the friendship and them just having casual conversation with each other and then the second half like digging into the the more dramatic elements of the film that's actually why i like it so much and that's what i was saying about like how it adds a sense of urgency to the traditional quote-unquote hangout film mm -hmm. so like i guess it's just a matter of taste as to how you approach the way that it you know it is a tale of two halves i think i think it's pretty fair to say that so it's just a matter of like how you perceive the first half versus the second half do you think right, it right. Well together or does it not blend well together okay we're, we're quick break washington just made a touchdown yeah logan thomas hokey hokey boy hokey boy scoring for us <laughs> <laughs> All right. Live Sorry. reaction to sports games once again on the podcast. Um, that was number eight, right? That was number eight, yes. All right, so what's your number seven? My number seven was my number one halfway through the year, and it's never really, sometimes always, <laughs> okay. you know, it's a very tough subject matter movie, and I've been reiterating over and over again about why this movie is so important. It's because of the fact that it doesn't preach at you, and it doesn't, you know, sensationalize the experience of young women in America, and especially somebody who's trying to get an abortion which the main character of this movie is trying to do. And, you know, it, I'm blanking on the director's name, but she does it. She, Eliza, Eliza Hitman. Eliza yeah, Hitman, Hitman, yeah. Does such a great job in trying to portray the, like this experience between, you know, this girl just putting her confidence to her best friend and going like, a, like, you know, taking a bus to New York so she can get an abortion because she's been impregnated. I, was she, was she sexually assaulted? That that was implied. I don't think it was explicitly said, though. Well, I mean, even though if, if she wasn't, you still see sexual assault happening within the movie in and of itself. Right, yeah, of, yeah, like Like the sleazy store manager. Yeah. And a really creepy ass that they meet on the bus. And, you know, 
how scary this experience is just being them by themselves having no money having no really support system outside of themselves and you know having seen that you know really opened my eyes because I, I i was aware of it but i just didn't realize how you know how serious it was to that extent and you know she did such a great job of putting me in that headspace of the main character because i was like with her in these moments where she's just thinking by herself and being by herself and you know i was with her in the in these in these moments of you know just her thinking about her life at that point and her making these these uh these decisions that would affect her for the rest of her life and you know eliza hitman did a great job and i'm blanking i keep i should, honestly i should start doing more research on this <laughs> come on um sydney flanagan and talia Ryder did a great job in this movie as well yeah this was one that i i wanted to love i think it was another hit at a sundance right if i'm not mistaken yes, yeah and um i just didn't quite connect with it the way everybody else was i, I just mm. found it a little bit cold and i agree with you that like there are certain moments in this movie, like the, the title sequence the, where she's speaking with the particular individual and she says never, she has to go through the never rarely, sometimes always. I think that scene in particular is like incredible. One of the best scenes of the year, but mm-hmm. I, I just felt like I didn't quite emotionally connect with the movie as a whole um, through the hour and a half or so runtime that it was. And like, it's I, cold I upon because it was set in winter. No, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I think, I think what I like, I feel like if you would put it in, you know, some people might think it's unfair to compare these movies. I personally am comparing them just because they're both focused on, you know, female characters at the center. They're basically, you know, a lot of it is basically just focused on their face, not a lot of dialogue. You're kind of reacting to the way that they react to the situations that they're put in. Um, mm-hmm. and the situation that they're put in is based, you know, uh, on to an extent abuse and again like i'm not a woman so i don't i'm not you know the most qualified person to speak about this but that's why right. the assistant spoke a little bit more to me um is i just thought you know I, I thought julia gardner carried that movie a little bit better than sydney flanagan did i think sydney flanagan is gonna have a good career i, I just wasn't quite like a hundred percent so i i don't know if she was like she's not she's obviously not an experienced enough performer to sell for me personally you know mm-hmm. the, those quiet contemplative moments for me to properly feel what she's feeling because she's not speaking so you have to kind of read her face and read her emotions and i just quite couldn't get that from her um but i think talia Ryder, the the supporting actress who plays her cousin i believe it is right like um yes she, her cousin, she, was yeah. the, she was the standout for me i thought she was incredible and she's coming i believe in uh spielberg's uh, west side story and stuff so she's got a promising career lined up for her but if i had to pick like a standout performance from that movie it was definitely her honestly Okay, well, I'm, even with those, you know, thoughts put out there, I would still look forward to the next project that Eliza Hitman puts yeah, out there. Yeah, I think this one is also um, on HBO Max. So if you have HBO, go and seek it out because it's definitely. I think I think a lot of people have responded pretty positive to this movie. I, I'm, I'm yeah, like, I'm like the only one. Four stars on Letterbox. That's pretty high. Yeah, so I, I would definitely seek this one out. Um, my number seven is The Vast of Night. I talked about this was actually my number one. I think around the same time that Never Rarely Sometimes Always was your number one, mm-hmm. um, which we did like back in June or July. We did like a halfway through the year point of what our top five movies were. And Vast of Night was my number one at that point. It did slip a little bit, but still in my top 10 here. Um, and, and I'm going to kind of reiterate what I said on that episode. Like for a director, for his first feature debut, Andrew Patterson is the filmmaker. For him to like so confidently direct this thing, like on a technical level, like the cinematography, the production design, so much about this movie is so exceptional um, that it feels like it's made by somebody who's been working for 15, 20 years. And like, you just don't see that like from a first time director who's working on a budget 
budget to like for him to go into a period piece that's set in like the 1950s um inspired by like the old time twilight zone sci-fi films that he probably grew up on like you just don't see somebody handle it so effectively for their first film so for him to like do that i think he's gonna have one of the most promising careers of these sort of like breakout directors from 2020 but i just also love how it captured like the essence of that classic throwback sci-fi but also brought it to like a more modern type of storytelling um i think there's a lot of like ambiguity to the ending and whatnot um there's just a lot of fun stuff to dig into and if you're a fan of sci-fi this was probably the best if not one of the best sci-fi movies of the year um i can't i can't comment on this because i haven't seen it yet but this is like the same kind of uh movie that came out with like the host yeah like, a low, low budget horror mm-hmm. and that was like hit you really well same same kind of style yeah and i'm gonna talk about host in, in just a few minutes here so I'll oh, hold okay off on that. but like so, yeah, similar similar it was like released on amazon prime and whatnot and that's where you can find it right now as well um like low budget sort of then had a f- couple festivals i think last year or whatever and then it got the launch on amazon and uh i would definitely i, I think you would enjoy this one sam honestly for, based off your taste okay um so my number six i would say i, I think this probably didn't hit your list or top 10 at least because you've seen more movies and i remember you saying that it didn't um kind of stick the way you wanted it to number six is nomadland um mm-hmm. francis mcdormand and chloe zhao's mm-hmm. experience and or for, foray into like telling the story of nomads within america and you know I, there's like a bit of a theme here with these last three picks for me is because of the fact that it's introducing me to you know walks of life or ways of life or experiences that i'm pretty much unaware of or haven't really um you know been des- desensitized to and with nomadland you know we talk about chloe zhao's ability to tell these insanely humane stories that touch your soul and you know with insanely great cinematography and her ability to just you know just have the camera pointed at somebody you don't even know and have you care about them and her ability to make you know like just regular people like like walking along the street seem like trained actors and her ability to do that and make it seem like an actual movie in the low budget sense that she's she makes her movies is why i put it so high on my list yeah it's not on my top 10 but it is in my top 25 top 15 actually um okay so it is it is certainly up there i think what i talked about when after you saw it which was about two or three weeks ago if i'm not mistaken um i just said that it hadn't quite stuck with me and i was comparing it to the rider just because the rider was such a transcendent experience right so like if i'm putting it side by side by the with the rider i think the rider is a better movie and it also just didn't emotionally stick with me the way the rider did sure. um but like when i was watching it i agree 100 percent with what you're saying like the way that she gives you a sort of look at this lifestyle that like pretty much none of us will probably ever experience you know living on the road as a nomad like that's not anything that i expect people from like northern virginia to go and do right and like with that with whatever they do with their lives but like the way she sort of opens the door to that type of lifestyle and really like puts us in it. and i think like when she was making this movie she was like actually living in an rv herself chloe Zhao was just so she could probably properly experience that lifestyle so she could properly portray it it's based off a book too so like she had source material to go off of but like you know having francis mcdormand there obviously helps a lot and i just think what you're saying actually also i want to touch on like the fact that she brought in non-actors the way she did with the writer um but like she brought in actual nomads to be these nomads in the movie and i think that really adds to the authenticity of it and if you have a director who is so in tune with the lifestyle that she's portraying you know chloe Zhao obviously going on the road and researching and doing this sort of life herself she knew what it took to do that and so she knew like how to tell these non-actors how to portray that on screen and i think it works pretty beautifully honestly and the fact that she's directing a tentpole marvel movie 
goes to show yeah. what direction that the Marvel Universe is going towards. And it's insanely exciting to see how that's going to turn out because mm-hmm. her and the people that she works with are just do such a great job of taking advantage of like the natural setting that they're in. Yeah. Taking advantage of like, the magic hour of like the sunsets and like dusks and all that. And like these very, you know, I guess you would consider shitty weather like the, the snow and, like, <laughs> like the cloudy weather and the rain and all that and making yeah. it seem as beautiful as it was in the movie is another testament to her ability as a director one of the best looking movies of the year in yeah. fact to be done on such a low budget um i also like i was watching an interview with chloe Zhao and barry jenkins where they were interviewing each other um and chloe Zhao said that she actually went to marvel 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 didn't come to her she like grew up wow. with books and whatnot mm. which was like surprising so like not only is she gonna that's even be- more exciting because then exactly she- yeah, she has she has she has like a plan for it. She's not just coming to this like as a director who got tapped by Marvel. She's coming to this as a comic book reader who's somebody who grew up on comic books and is a fan of Star Wars and superheroes. She's coming to this as a true geek herself. And I think that like that that got my excitement level, which was already high for a Marvel movie, like even higher. So that that's so like, imagine this since they're, since they're already tapping, have they tapped anybody from? Marvel to do a Star Wars movie, but even if they have that relationship, they're gonna hopefully Fav- maybe tap her to do Favreau. a Star Wars movie. Favreau, Favreau. yeah, Mandalorian, Iron Man. I guess, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, I would love to see her do Star Wars. She says she's a hardcore Star Wars fan. I'll send you this interview actually because I think you like it. Um, but it was really put cool. in the link in the description. <laughs> I will, I will. It, like, it's interesting to see her and Barry talk about like how she's doing Marvel movie and Barry's doing the Lion King movie now. Like how they're going from these small budget Oscar caliber projects to these big budget projects that are owned by disney basically like i thought that was a cool conversation i like the direction that disney's going in with i do too yeah they're picking good filmmakers um my number six is i'm expecting it to be higher on your list it's minari yes Um, it's way higher on my list so 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 i'll be brief (laughs) i'll be brief but i i love this movie i think it's so beautiful so intimate um and and, you know everybody's saying this is the most american movie of the year and i I think take it like a step above that and say like it's one of the most if not the most universal movie of the year where it's like Mm. you don't have to be korean you don't have to be american you don't have to live in arkansas you don't have to be an immigrant you just have to like you know, you have to be a person with aspirations and you have to be determined to do things. You have to be- The love for family. Exactly, a love for family. Like there's there's just so much humanity in this movie. And like the biggest compliment I keep giving this movie is like how excited now, even more so that I am for this Your Name live action remake. Cause like obviously animated live action remakes are rarely, never good, honestly. Uh, but you know, bringing <laughs> Lee Isaac Chung to that project, I think is really, really exciting. Steven Yeun is just incredible, but the whole cast all around, like the kids are all, are both incredible. Like the grandmother is incredible. This thing is like, I can't wait for people to actually have access to the thing. Cause I think right now it's only like playing limitedly limited in theaters. So when this thing hits streaming or when people have easier access to it, I really can't wait to see the conversation around yeah, it. But, I'll keep it really brief. I'm just going to say we're being very spoiled with Risen Med, Chadwick Boseman mm-hmm. and Steven Yeun in, these, in, this, in this past year. The best actor race this year is pretty stacked. Pretty it's always that every year. It's like you. I mean, you add Hopkins and Gary Oldman from Mank into that. Yeah, mix. yeah. It's, it's a pretty competitive year. But uh, yeah, we'll talk about Minari, I guess, in, in just a few minutes. A little bit more. What's your number five? I'm thinking my next two are probably higher on your list. Number five is Wolfwalkers and Forest Soul. Yeah, those are both higher. So do you want to talk about them when we get to them on my list? Yeah, then? Okay. yeah, we'll get we'll get to it. Okay. So my number so. five then is Host, um, which we alluded to earlier um this was definitely the best horror movie that i saw throughout the entire year um like on paper right like the idea of a pandemic like zoom movie just sounds like awful like yeah why are we doing this and you actually saw host (laughs) as well and i think you were pretty high on it i'm actually surprised it didn't crack your top 10 because you were pretty high on it when you spoke about it on that episode but uh it's just like it has some of the most clever and unique scares of the entire year of the past few years honestly It, it just shows like if you have if if a filmmaker has the resources to even make a low budget thing like if you give it to a good storyteller 
they're going to create something special. You know, the found footage, the zoom, like the screen sharing, like that's so rarely done well. But if you give it to a good filmmaker like Rob Savage, who understands the horror genre and can do, has clever concepts, clever ideas, you give him the ability to portray those on the screen. It just shows to, it goes to show what kind of talent is out there, especially in the horror genre where you can do lower budget stuff. Uh, so like, I mean, like the, the mask scare in particular with the floating mask, the floating face, whatever. Mm, you want at the very end. One of my yeah. favorite scenes of, of the entire year. I love hosts so much. Where, where did it fall on your list? If you have in front of you. 19. Okay. So still, still top 20. But like, but like everything on my top 20 is movies that I really enjoyed this year. Like it's, right. I didn't watch that many. So yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll touch on my number four too then. Right. Since you, yeah. you're five and four. So my number four was Tenet. Yeah. Uh, where did Tenet fall on your list? Tenet was 14. Okay. And do you think it would have gotten higher? Like maybe if you had already seen it? Yeah. I was going to say when we were doing our honorable mentions at the end of the episode, I was going to say, I would have, I would have thought that Tenet would probably hit higher after I did the rewatch. Okay. Yeah. The fact that it it got like 13 on your list is pretty impressive after the 14, 14, sorry. After the experience that we had watching it, that's pretty impressive. So, (laughs) but I I mean, like having rewatched it now, I think it really is as good as like, as good as it felt like it was after that first watch, like Christopher Nolan is it's, it's probably his most Nolan movie and that's perfectly fine. Actually, that's kind of what I prefer out of his movies to go more down the quote unquote Nolan route. I, I mean, the action is incredible. The performance is incredible. Ludwig's score is incredible. Um, it, it is certainly the kind of movie that you have to watch, you know, two, maybe three times to properly understand literally and figuratively how much back and forth there is going on in terms of the timeline and the structure and whatnot. Um, but there's like, you know, there's pieces in there as there are with most Nolan films for you to dig into on those additional rewatches and for you to discover as you dig deeper into this movie. And it really, really struck, I think it was a little bit lower on, on that first watch, but it still probably would have been in my top 10. But after that um, second watch where I properly got to experience it, it definitely cracked my top five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just need to rewatch it before I comment on it any further because yeah, I'm still thinking about that, you know, rainy ass experience we had. <laughs> I got, that was the first time I've ever left the movie wet after watching it. Because you had the window open, that's right. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I had the window because like the wind, like the, our windshield was op- like like foggy. Right, right. So I had to open the window so I could properly see, but then I was getting rained on. So I had to like wipe like a small like part of the hole. corner yeah like a <laughs> hole of, of my windshield to be able to see it and i'm actually kind of impressed like how much we were able to grasp despite the circumstances because like when we had the conversation afterwards uh and i would i definitely want to do like a spoiler episode about it once you get the chance to rewatch it like I-, I feel like we did a pretty good job of grasping it despite you know what what we were dealing with while watching it so uh, I- i'm impressed with us for that but uh what's your number three then Number three is a documentary, actually, by the name of Boy State. And if you guys remember me talking about Boy State, I guess it was like middle of summer, like June or July, whenever it came out. It was like a Sundance darling. Right, right. It was like on paper, it sounds so boring. It's about these teenagers <laughs> who just, you know, do a mock government in like the, in like a Texas uh, uh, judiciary area in like whatever, like in Houston or Dallas, or wherever it is. It's just, it sounds awful. You like, you don't, you don't want to hear teenagers talking about politics for an hour and a half <laughs> when, when you sit down and turn this movie on you're completely encapsulated by the the individuals like real life individuals who are portrayed in this movie Stephen garza in particular has a shining career ahead of him in in, in the field of politics because he's insanely charismatic he is easily lovable he does an insane job of like you know running for like the quote-unquote president of his mock government within this movie 
and like it's it's this movie's electric it's it keeps you on your toes the the back and forth between like the the differing ideologies like they don't talk about like like republicans democrats they don't talk about like trump they don't talk about any of these things maybe in the beginning a little bit but when they're in their own headspace within their own governments setting their own policies and you know doing their debates and trying to you know get that presidency get the vice presidency get like the district attorney whatever it is that they're voting on you're completely in tune to what's happening like as if like an if, like as if it's an actual political race that you're watching on tv you um you watched a few like political documentaries this year right like do you think yes. like because I, I guess a couple of them were probably from previous years maybe not from 2020 but like does this rank like amongst the top of those that you saw yeah yeah absolutely i think this is probably, this is obviously my favorite of the year but the other one i saw this year all was in, actually right? all in the fight for democracy with uh stacy adams right. and actually got a chance to watch time oh nice Sundance. okay uh, how was that it's it's I don't it, it was pretty praised uh, by critics when it came out, but I didn't really have that attachment to it. It's just interesting to see like the overlap over time because you like the individual of the movie. She records herself with like a '90s camera, as if like a like before like the selfie era came into like to be a trend. So she had like that. She was like ahead of her time, essentially, by recording herself during mm-hmm. like this very difficult period in her life. Yeah, yeah. But the the subject of the movie didn't really hit me as well as like these other movies about like black people being oppressed in America. So because of I I don't I think it's more of the experience of her being a single mother with having her uh, husband being in jail for committing a, a bank robbery, and it it, it is shed, it does shed light on like the experiences of black people within like the criminal justice system, but it didn't hit me as well as it should have, as I thought it was going to. But, yeah. You know, so, so, still, still a solid movie. No, uh, that like that raises an interesting question. Cause like this movie is obviously like, it, it is obviously tackling, you know, political matters in a similar way, especially in the timeliness in America and whatnot, but it's pretty different in terms of the subject matter. Like it's, you know, the difference between a couple and, you know, these kids who are aspiring to be politicians or whatever it may be. Right. Like, like, do you think that like the political aspect of it, is that like accessible to people who are trying to avoid, like for myself? Cause like the part of the reason I didn't seek this movie out even was cause I was just like, I don't need more politics in my life. Do you still think I, I should go and watch this one? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Cause it doesn't touch on like Democrats, Republicans. It doesn't talk about the current events. Yeah, it's just yeah. these kids doing mock governments being, like trying to like polish their tools that they already have as aspiring politicians and just seeing how their grasp on politics is before the camp and after the camp and it's just really fun to watch okay and do you know how long like the camp takes place that they were part of um, i don't know if you know that off the top of your head i'm putting you on the spot a little bit but i don't i think it was over a week over a week okay that's pretty interesting actually i do want to see this one i just said put because of the politics thing i just put a little distance between myself is it on apple tv or netflix it wasn't it wasn't apple tv apple tv so i can't, I can't access it okay cool yes um all right cool sounds good that was your number three my number three is sound of metal so this was where number six on your list number seven on your list eight eight sorry um but yeah everything i mean everything that you said riz is like if it wasn't for chadwick i think this riz performance would have been the the, my favorite performance of the year um he like the way that he just grapples you know the fact that like you said he's a musician and he's losing his hearing it's basically losing his livelihood but also losing you know the thing that he loves like he's passionate about his music and that's the thing that drives him to do what he does that's the thing that's like the anchor of his relationship and his life you know more or less starts to at least from his perception fall apart so like to see that sort of unraveling of this character and then trying to like build him back up 
is just astounding. And you and I have talked about this both on air and off air about how good that ending is. That final shot mm. of Rizomet is just incredible. And like, it ends on like, you know, I don't want to say like a downer, but it ends on a bit of like a somber note, but it's yes. like a heartfelt somber note. Mm -hmm. um, and I just really appreciated that. Like Riz and Olivia Cook both are, are just astounding in this movie. And actually like, I wasn't expecting this to be so high on my top 10 after I saw it on, on Amazon a few weeks ago. And it just stuck in my mind and stuck with me and slowly grew and grew and grew. And that, that's why I love to put like distance between myself and movies because like it, this movie went from like, you know, maybe 10 to 15 to my number three. And, and I really grew to appreciate it over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, like the, the final shot you're talking about with him just looking up in the sky and just in, in complete silence, just thinking about his life with that small, with that very soft smile on his face. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite shots of the year. It's just, yeah. it, that's why, that end shot is why the movie sticks with you. Yeah, actually, like an extension of that also, like, you know, the silence and whatnot, like I want to give a shout out to the director. Um, God, what's his name? I'm blanking on it. Darius Martyr, I believe is what it was. Yes. But, like the way he, you know, the way the beginning of the movie starts and Riz is like experience this deafness and like he goes to this he goes to this house and he's speaking or he's conversing with all these deaf people and they're they're speaking in sign language and he doesn't quite understand what they're saying because he's he's new there he hasn't learned sign language yet and I love the way that mm -hmm. Darius Martyr doesn't put subtitles so we have to kind of be put right in Riz's situation where we were like just as lost as he is and we're like I don't know what conversation is going on here what are these people doing like what are they saying are they making fun of him like what's going on here and slowly as he learns sign language the subtitles show up and like that experience that he has the conversations that he has with the people the relationships that he's develops with them I, I just think it's really really a special movie and I hope I hope Rizomet is an Oscar nominee by the end of this year. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought the fact that this is directed by Darius Martyr because this is his debut movie, and I think he based this on a family member. Yeah. Either it was his brother or somebody he knew that's very close to him. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he was able to deliver something so personal, something so, you know, something that's essential to him essentially in his life and deliver it the way he did with Riz and, and Olivia Cook is, you know, reason enough for excitement for his future projects. Yeah, it's I think it's a movie that everybody should watch because it opens talking about like perspectives and how you're put into other people's shoes. This movie maybe does putting people putting you in somebody else's shoes like better than anybody because of how you walk through Riz's life and experience deaf like the going deaf with him um few movies I think did it as well as Sound of Metal um so yeah that's my number three what's your number two number two is a movie that I think I don't know if it's a cliche to have it at this high on my list or if perception of it has fallen since it came out but Netflix is Charles Chicago 7 just mm. because of the fact that it's a movie like I'm, I have an attachment to movies that make me react out loud when I'm watching them like it happened like the probably the biggest that happened this year was like the the end of the mandalorian was like i was like holy shit holy shit holy shit who is the who is the jedi <laughs> save grogu but with uh with charlie's chicago 7 i was like you know clapping at certain moments i was like i was like oh shit like you know because of a comeback or an insult in one of these moments and you know because of like the the relevance of the movie in regards to the you know with with police abuse police brutality and you know um targeting of, of of black americans and you know yeah like the the cast is insane in this movie everyone deserves to the all the praise that they're getting and they all like i think they all they're all being um what's it called campaign for the oscars this year yeah pretty much all. <laughs> pretty much all like the main characters and you know the fact that that sorkin is able to you know write a movie as biting and as as quippy and as electric at this movie with this insane cast giving everybody their due is why i put it so harmless because it's so difficult mm -hmm. when movies have insanely you know talented cast there's always somebody or a group of people or you know 
a certain relationship within the movie that's not nearly as fleshed out as I wanted it to be. Not enough screen time for a certain character or a certain actor. But with the uh, Trial of Chicago Seven, I feel like everyone had their moment. Everyone had their due. Eddie Redmayne, Mark Rylance, Yaya Abdul Mateen, Sasha Baron Cohen. Everyone had a great, you know, did a, an insane, an insane job in this movie. I would be like completely fun if the entire supporting actor category was just actors from this movie because that's how good it is. And like Sorkin, yeah, I mean like. The, the reason this movie fell a little bit in my estimation um, is mo- most strictly because Mangrove was so good that it kind of pushed Chicago 7 a little bit lower on my list. And I thought Mangrove did a little bit better. Is it top 20, top 15? It is top 20. It is top. Okay. It, I think it's my number 20. I'll run through Ooh. the list in just a few minutes, but it, I think it is my number 20. But like the, the writing in this thing, yeah, is absolutely incredible. And if you're like comparing the writing between this and Mangrove, um, I, I think this movie is certainly better written, you know, in terms of dialogue. It has a sort of flair to it. Uh, Mangrove did like the emotion and the sort of impact the power of it all a little bit better and that's why it took just one step above but like this movie is is astounding and you, I mean you look at that cast yeah like the fact that everybody like you said like you know you give every single person almost in that cast like deserved screen time even Joseph Gordon-Levitt who's like not really a good person in the movie not playing a good person like he has a moment where you sort of sympathize with him and you understand his perspective and whatnot and like most of the characters in this movie get that moment and that's that's really really special I think I would have loved to like I said have like Yaya Abdul-Mateen be in the movie a little bit longer um and sort of explore that like the aspect of Bobby Seale's um role in that trial a little bit more because I think he got a little bit of the short shrift but like you know to make me on come on board with like eddie redmayne's performance like that i think he was maybe the stand that was the biggest thing is him and mark rylance because you're they're both actors that you did you weren't really convinced of until this point yeah yeah definitely and like eddie redmayne especially like i, I was just so shocked by him but like <laughs> the whole the whole cast all the way around and like sasha baron Cohen, we knew he had like the sort of chops to deliver a performance like this like we knew sasha baron Cohen was probably gonna be an oscar nominee one day it was just a matter of when and it feels like this is gonna be the movie that propels him into that conversation which is really really awesome um, but yeah, I, I really do love this movie. It just fell a little bit lower on my overall favorites of the year list. Well, yeah, because you saw way more movies this year, so it makes sense for it to be lower. Yeah, I did see a lot of movies this year, surprisingly. <laughs> but um, that was year number two. My number two, two. is Soul. So, oh, okay. So that's that's what I was curious about. Yeah, so this was year number five. So we, we have the two movies that are my top two. We have them in the same order, at least. So there's that. Um, but yeah. No, I, no, no. I have Soul higher. Soul is your five, right? Soul is my five, but... Uh, Wolf Walkers is my no no Soul is my fourth. Wolf oh, is my fifth. okay, okay. I thought you said Soul was higher. Sorry. Um, yeah, spoil- <laughs> it's not really a spoiler to say what my number one is, but I'll, I'll talk about Soul first. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it, this could very these one and two could very much shift in, in the coming you know weeks or whatever because I've only been sitting on Soul for about a week and a half to two weeks now. But I mean, this movie is astounding. We reviewed it last week on the Pixar episode, and we just talked, we gushed about it nonstop, and it's just like, you know, it, it was so different from what I was expecting it to be, but like. Pete Doctor is a genius. I, I really think that Pete Doctor is one of the best storytellers. Like you look at his filmography, Monsters Inc. Up, Inside Out, and now Soul. Like he's got to be amongst like the best directors working today, right? Like he's got to be in that conversation. And I think he's not being put into that conversation because he's working at Pixar. He's making animated movies, but that those four are elite caliber movies. Those are all masterpieces, if you ask me. So Pete Doctor, I think, is just a genius. But like. It, more so like Pixar is known for this but I think Soul does it more than anything else um, any other Pixar movie maybe like other than maybe Inside Out is like it challenges you to these mature themes the story about life and passion and like it's such a commentary on something that all of us go through and the way it sort of takes you on this roller coaster ride with this character and sort of makes you experience how he's experiencing his life and how he sees his life and how his eyes are then opened by an outside perspective. I just think it, it, it's crazy to say this movie is like challenging because it's 
quote unquote a kids movie but it's not really a kids movie and i think because it challenges us in those incredibly deep and complex ways and makes us look at our own lives in deep and complex ways like it's just it's elite caliber pixar i, I really think it's elite caliber pixar's I think I might have to put it above Coco now having sat on it for an extra week after our top, whatever, like our top fives from last week that we, that we, when we ranked it, I think it might crack my top five. I really just, it's just incredible. The score is incredible. The animation is incredible. I love this movie all around. Literally I changed this movie last minute before we came on. I was like, do I like soul more than Wolfwalkers? Do I like Wolfwalkers more than soul? And the, and the, 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 the tiebreaker was the theme of the movie for soul being, it's just like, it's just okay to live. It's just okay to enjoy the smaller moments. Life isn't about your achievements, your accomplishments. It's about you just maybe like enjoying your favorite food, enjoying your, enjoying your hobby, spending time with your family. Mm-hmm. And it's not about these insane, like graduating college, getting, uh, getting this degree, getting a certificate, getting this yeah. achievement in your field or whatever it is that you're yeah, trying yeah. to achieve. Your ambitions is more about just being present, being in the moment, and just and the way that he's able to tackle like this this grand theme in a children's movie, and the meta aspects of life itself with like you know what's life after death, and you know the spark of life, and you know what makes a person a person. These are insanely philosophical themes that he's throwing at children, and he's delivering it in such a delicate but you know affecting way because it both you know tells children you know just enjoy life while you have it but it's also telling adults like don't be so pressed on what you're trying to achieve and just be in the moment with you know with your family or whatever it is that you're you know whatever it is that you enjoy in life and you know the animation is fantastic you know i have a soft spot i said that in the review i like i, I love jazz and like, I, I love piano <clears throat> and these aspects of the movie just you know compounded together and like the relationship between um what's his name joe gardner <laughs> joe gardner and, and 22 <laughs> um and, and this movie you know is very heartwarming and just seeing them being complete opposites of each other joe gardner being this really ambitious guy and you know 22 being like this like this free spirit essentially the portrayal of what uh, i guess like the the great beyond is what pete doctor was doing and like the aspects of the movie like the animation were kind of reminded me like don hertzfeld so if you like the aspects of the yeah, animation that look like yeah. they look very um meta and sort of like out there weird yeah like, yeah, yeah like, like very very i don't know how to describe it you just yeah. watch like world of tomorrow it's like, like ethereal sort of like yes cool. yeah. yeah i don't know how to describe it but just watch don hertzfeld if you enjoy like the animation this incredible movie. yeah don hertzfeld's incredible when it comes to animation yeah so yeah. that's um, why no i get that and i guess we can we can lump my number one into this conversation because those movies were so interchangeable for me and like i said this could easily flip by tomorrow morning when i wake up and i could be like oh soul is actually my number one but yeah wolf Wolf walkers (laughs) did end up being my number one and when i sat down and i thought about it i was like soul had the message like you're talking about but wolf walkers had that gut punch that we talked about last Mm, week in the picture yeah that was just kind of like you know when when you talk about like the emotional impact of a movie not that soul didn't like soul had a profound emotional impact on me but Wolfwalkers was the one that like moved me to tears by the way it sort of commented on friendship and identity and whatnot and it's you know these movies don't like they don't differ that much in terms of themes actually they have some some overlap some differences but like there there is a lot of sort of similarities in the stuff that they're speaking to but yeah when it came down to it like Wolfwalkers I just thought was such a unique experience by the way the 2D animation is beautiful the way like the frames just looked at like sort of paintings like each and every shot looked like paintings I, I just really appreciated that and the type of story that it told it kind of like it harkened back to the classic Disney stuff that I grew up on back in the day and I think that's why it sort of had a, I had a soft spot for it because it just reminded me 
of that magical memory the, or those magical memories that I had watching Disney movies like Lion King and whatnot growing up. And, and I feel like this in time will become like an animated classic once more and more people discover it. I think right now it's just sort of underseen. But like, you know, you look at like animation communities and people having conversations about movies online right now like they're they're all talking about wolf walkers as much as they're talking about soul so like really when it comes down to it either one of those movies could have been a two and a one and we just came it just came down to making this arbitrary list so i ended up putting wolf walkers at one um but you, you said you switched them last last minute so i want to kind of hear a little bit more about that since you're talking about like the themes and the message and whatnot. well i'm so stupid because i just realized why you were comparing this to prince mononoke is like it has to do with wolves in the woods this sure, little girl yeah. in the woods and like this person from the city comes Comes to the woods and finds the person <laughs> in the woods. It's it. I'm like, I just putting it two and two together just yeah. now. When you were and some of the some of the visuals too of like you know the larger wolves. At the oh end no, the colors and... are insane in this movie. Like yeah, the, the, yeah. the shadowing and the lighting and the ability to contrast these very complementary and contrasting colors. They did such an insane job with the animation in this movie. But like the thing I like kind of like um offset it for me a little bit was the fact that like the, the perception of distance and depth in this movie because like when they were portraying like they were at like the the tree line of the woods and in the background you'd see like the town but the town to me looked like it was like right front and center like it was like a flag or like a brick wall or something so it didn't look like it was far away like, it was like a right there but it felt like a like a yeah. crude painting yeah but yeah. besides that like there was like nothing i could say that was bad about this movie because you know like the 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 friendship between <clears throat> the little little ginger i'm so bad with remembering names because <laughs> i don't remember their name it's now. my favorite it's my favorite movie of the year and i don't remember their names either <laughs> i'm looking up i'm looking up right now um robin and, and mabe the relationship between this movie and like how it goes from you know being enemies of each other to you know risking your life to save them because of how much you care about them and having that you know sharp contrast between the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie feels so natural and having them just be like a one happy family. Like, I feel like if I saw this movie, like my formative years, like I was in grade school, yeah, this yeah. would be like a movie that I would attach myself to, like like a Lion King, as you said, like, or like an Iron Giant, mm -hmm. or like a Princess Mononoke, as I've you know gushed about <laughs> enough in, on this podcast before. <laughs> but the fact that, you know, and I'm, I'm really surprised at myself because I'm always talking about how much I love like 2D style animation as opposed to CG and I put Soul above this one, but like the animation <laughs> and like <clears throat> the, the, their ability to like, you know, be as colorful as possible but not be overwhelming is something i was really impressed about when i was watching this movie and their ability to just craft this very you know it almost feels like a realistic world but it also has its own fantastical elements to it because of how it's portrayed and you know when they're when they're wolves and it doesn't really take you out of the movie when they become wolves the movie actually becomes better when they become wolves which is yeah, something that was yeah. another thing that was surprising to me and i think you know i just you know as you say it's a very underseen movie and i i would not be surprised if this is like one of like the you know it becomes like a like a classic in its own right because of its ability to you know just bring you into the, the world that they built with a i think it was cartoon saloon who cartoon saloon yeah, yeah cartoon saloon did it and like to what you're saying like in a sense i kind of wish like netflix had picked it up because then more people would have been able to see yeah it, yeah. it is on apple tv plus and a solid amount of people have apple tv plus because they bought iphones and they got it for free for an entire year like you and me but, but like i i kind of wish netflix had picked it up just because i feel like more people would have been exposed to it like similar to klaus which you talked about a few weeks ago which like had such a cult following when it first aired on netflix and everybody was watching it around christmas time i feel like this movie could have had a similar impact but I, I certainly hope that more people do discover it in in the coming years so do you think who's gonna win the oscar 
Soul is going to win the Oscar, and I'm, I'm, you know, the Oscars love Pixar as is, and rightfully so. And but like when it comes down to these two movies, and I've heard people like have the conversation of how good Wolf Walkers is, is could it upset Soul? But like people are people are talking about Soul and not just the best animated feature category, but also the best picture category. The way they were talking about Inside Out, and Inside Out came out the same year as Anomalisa, which was another sort of beloved animated movie that people were like, oh, could this upset the big Pixar like? movie mm. it had no chance because at the end of the day inside out was inside out and soul is soul and i think you know i i don't think there to make this decision is a very difficult one but you're you can't go wrong either way and i just feel like you know pixar is going to have the the push the money the momentum to be able to sell soul the way they are and people love soul people so many people i've seen have soul in their top three movies of the year um and wolf walkers will struggle a little bit because not as many people will see it Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, I was going to say this is probably going to give me motivation to finally watch like the other movies from Cartoon Saloon that's on yeah. my list. Yeah, like, this, like um, Song of the Sea, mm-hmm. The Breadwinner, The Secret of Kells. I actually saw the afternoon the short that came out last year i think it was yeah, yeah and i like i really enjoyed that one this this director has like a sort of like trilogy quote-unquote um of movies and this is like the finale of that quote-unquote trilogy like a spiritual sequel a spiritual sort of successor whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um like sister or brother movies whatever you want to call it but uh i, I definitely want to go and go and seek out this director's other movies as well um, so i guess i, I, I think i know is... i think i know your number one but i'll let you yeah I'll let you I, was, I was surprised when I was making this list because I was like, you know, talking about how much I love Nomad Land, how much I love Trial of Chicago 7, how much I love Boy State, how much I love Soul. But when I was making this list, I was looking and I was like, this doesn't feel right. I got to, you know, I got to move pieces around, make sure, you know, it looks good before I come on the podcast. And I, I was like thinking about the movies that I watched and like, the ones that affected me the most. And like the only movie that made me cry this year was Minari. Mm-hmm. Minari being the, like the movie that Raj was talking about with the Im- Korean immigrant family that was living in Arkansas, living out of an RV, trying to create a farm. And, you know, it sounds boring. It's an A24 movie. Like people could perceive it as pretentious. <laughs> but the fact that, you know, Lee Isaac Chung was able to deliver such a universal movie, as you just said, like this, the, the most American movie, the, one of the, the most universal movie of the year and being as effective as it was with, you know, with Steven Young, uh, um, her, her name was, I think it was uh, Han Yeri, who played Monica, her, the mm-hmm. wife. The uh, wife is incredible. She's not getting enough credit for how good her performance is. Yoon Yu Jung, who plays the, the grandmother. Right, right. Will Patton's in this movie. Mm-hmm. Scott Hayes, Noel Cade, Alan Kim. The, the, the entire dynamic of this movie, the family. Um, you're just kind of like a fly on the wall. There's like a fly on the wall experience. You're just watching them live their day-to-day lives, trying to figure out what it is to be American or what it is to survive in this country that they don't know about. And it's, you know, primarily in Korean, like the movie's mostly in subtitles, but you know, it, it feels like something that you could attach yourself to because you care so much about the family in this movie. And like when, like the, when the gut punch happens, you know, it comes out of nowhere and it's not in, in, in the most, like the last five minutes of the movie, and like you didn't, I didn't expect it at all. But then, like the moment when it happens with with the little boy and the grandmother, and seeing their relationship just take to the next level because of you know, he didn't know his grandmother until he she moved in with them into the RV, and then seeing you know contrasting that relationship to the, the end of the movie it is why you know it hit me the way that it did because you know i have an attachment to my grandmother and i was like i, I kind of saw myself in this little kid being this little rambunctious guy you know not speaking english you know all i knew, all I knew was spanish um my family was like, the most important thing to me in my life when i was a kid so you know i pretty much saw myself in my own experiences within this family and in this in, in and of itself and Lee Isaac Chen just did an incredible job of of, of creating you know such a such a human story 
and like in my opinion the best movie of the year yeah i don't think i think that's an incredible choice for the best movie of the year and like i do do you think that this is going to be the movie that finally like because we've been talking about it for a couple of years now like him being on the fringe of being that quote-unquote star is this the movie that makes steven yun the star that we all expect him to be i don't think so because this no. is a fact that's underseen like you guys did say it's a24 but it's like it's korean subtitles i don't see a lot of people that i know who like aren't into movies talking about this movie as much like i don't know if any of my close friends have seen it i don't think mom would have seen it either mm. so just because of the fact that it's understanding like the fact that it's like a pandemic like i we had to rent this movie right if i remember correctly uh middleburg oh yeah we saw it through middle but we still pay like 12 bucks for it yeah yeah <laughs> so i don't know if it's streaming anywhere mm-hmm. but you know I adore this movie to pieces, and that's why it's my number one. Yeah, I at least hope that Steven Yeun can crack into the best actor. I, I think he's just they're just waiting for him to give him like a, a blockbuster movie. But like, you think just so? Watch, just watch Burning and you just watch Minari, and yeah. you're gonna love this guy to pieces. It, like the people who watch Walk the Walking Dead, it's like he was a fan favorite, but I'm not seeing the same support that I was seeing when he was on that show when actually when he was like, yeah, uh, I'm gonna spoil it. The show sucks. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> When he, when he when he gets killed off and like uh-huh. he 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 goes like to do to do Okja, he does burning he does this movie but he yeah. hasn't had that same traction as he once did when he was on The Walking Dead. Sorry to bother you. He did he mixed that in there mm, as well. He yeah. had a small role in there. I, I think I think it's time for me to revisit Burning because I've been away from it for two years and, and I was not nearly as high on it as everybody, but especially you and Mamadou. That was like both of your favorite movie from that year, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um. So so I think it's time for me to revisit Burning. I think I might do that this week. And talk burning, about it. I would say Stephen Young is like top five villains I've ever seen in the movie. He's he's really good. Uh, like, uh, despite the fact that I didn't love that movie as much as everybody else, I, I can certainly see why everybody loved that performance. I think he's astounding in it. But uh, I'm really happy to see Minari at your number one. And I agree with everything that you said. The, the grandma is also so good. Like, what was her name? Yu, Yoon Yu Jung, I think is how you yeah, say it's her like, name? It's, it's um, Yoon Yu Jung. You, okay, Yoon thanks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like the entire Alan Kim, like we, we didn't even really give him the spotlight here, but like he, steals the show. <laughs> he carries the movie. He steals the show and he kind of is the central figure just as much as Steven Yeun is. And, and like for them to give the kid, the central kid, like a young, young child who's never really come in movies before that much screen time. Um, and for him to steal the show and like the interactions that he has with the grandmother as well. Like those are some of the best scenes in the entire movie. Um, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. He's a pee scene. <laughs> yeah, oh, that movie, that scene is so good. And the mountain to, water. <laughs> to what you're saying, to what you're saying about like the sort of shift that it has at the end and the way it is it does have that gut punch moment that was also something that i was not expecting especially the way the movie was going where it was like quiet and intimate and peaceful and then it just sort of has this shift and i don't want to spoil it obviously but like it was such a dramatic shift but they did so much building up of the plot and the family and the relationship to make that moment hit so so hard and that that's just a credit to how good a filmmaker lee isaac chung is and that that's like again like obviously i think the I, end shot the, the the title of the movie being the end shot mm-hmm, and like you know speaking of, of like the title minari I, I didn't know what minari was going into the movie did you did you have any idea what it was but going into no the I, had, I had no clue yeah so it's this plant and like the plant like so from what i understand about the plant, i did i had to do some research about this but like the plan <laughs> is supposed to be this like this thing that this thing that sort of like it's it's a plant that comes from Korea that sort of lives and perseveres through like the most difficult times. You can plant it and it'll survive like harsh storms so, and whatnot. Yeah. And that, that's just kind of like the message of the movie, right? Is these people who are coming and being put in a very difficult situation, they're like still going to overcome the struggles that they're put through because of they're, how they're taking root in America, like the leaves are. Right. Yeah. Puns. It, it's 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 beautiful. It, it really is beautiful. And like you you can make jokes about it, but like 
the movie is just so so good and i think it has the potential to be one of these like you know we're talking about like in a few years people appreciate something as classics this this movie has the capability to sort of sit with people and really soak in and become i think something that people will really really love down the road let's go ahead and do our honorable mentions then yeah yeah do you want to do like top i guess 25 to 10 i guess that's that's kind of how i have it listed out here Okay, I'll do my 25. Yeah, go for it. I'll, I'll do it from 25 to 20. I'll let you do your 25 to 20. Okay. So 25, Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. 24, The Invisible Man. 23, Possessor. 22, Gretel and Hansel. 21, Ride Your Wave. 20, The Platform. Okay. I had 25, Standing Up, Falling Down. 24, The Rental. 23, The Old Guard. 22, Possessor. 21, Freaky. 20, Trial of the Chicago 7. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so the 19 to 15? Sure. Host is 19. Mank is 18. 17 is another round. The Drew, the one with Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, nice. You saw it. It's it's a fun movie. Uh, 16 is My Hero Academia Heroes Rising. Mm -hmm. And 15 is Bad Education. Is Bad Education considered this year or last year? Yeah, I I have Bad Education. I'll I'll get to it in a second. I I consider it this year. Um, 19, Dark and the Wicked. 18, Hamilton. Hamilton was another one that I was like, is it a movie? Technically not, but also (laughs) I'm going to put it on here because I really did like it. Uh, 17, Onward. 16, First Cow. Um, so yeah, that's dude, 15? You, 15, the gentleman. Okay. Yeah. So 14, I guess 14 the ten, to 11. 14 to 11. So yeah. 14 is tenant. Mm-hmm. 13 is onward. Another Pixar movie that came out this year mm-hmm. that we forgot about. <laughs> 12 is the gentleman and 11 is the lodge. Okay. Uh, 14 nomad land, 13, the way back 12 on the rocks, which was really surprising for me to. Oh put God, this I forgot to watch that movie. It's really good. I, I really, I highly, I, highly I was forgetting it. something. I have so many Apple TV movies on this list. I'm kind of, hey, they're, they're, they're on, they're on the come up. They're doing good. They're doing good. They have some really good stuff. They have cherry coming out. I'm excited for Apple TV and then 11, I had bad education right there. Okay. Um, and do you want to recap just your 10 to one list them out again? Yeah. 10 to one, 10 is Marini's black bottom. Nine is Borat. Eight is sound of metal. Seven is never really sometimes always. Six is Nomadland. Five is Wolfwalkers. Soul is four. Three is Boy State. Two is Charles Chicago 7. And one is Minari. Ten Assistant. Nine Mangrove. Eight One Night in Miami. Seven The Vast of Night. Six Minari. Five Host. Four Tenet. Three Sentimental. Two Soul. And one Wolfwalkers. We actually had a lot of overlap, like in different order, but like a lot of our movies were the same, which I'm pretty surprised by because you and I, we, we have similar tastes in certain like things. Like one or two. And like the top 10 usually. Yeah, yeah. So like I'm pretty impressed by that as well. But uh, you said you have this list on Letterboxd, right? So we'll we'll link to the I have all list. 45 movies ranked. So. Okay, cool. And I'll, <laughs> I'll link to my uh, my blog post at my top 25 um, in there as well. That'll bring us, I guess, to a close for this episode. I think next week we'll probably talk about our favorite TV of the week. Um, and then, you know, upcoming in the, in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about TV. We'll do some recapping about 2020, everything that we watched as a whole. And we'll talk about anticipated movies for 2021 that's like a weird conversation i guess but we'll recap some of the stuff that's gotten delayed from last year some of the stuff that we're still looking forward to and some of the new stuff that you can expect to see in 2021 um sam let people know where they can find you online you can find me on my twitter at sam zero so and on my instagram at sam osorio o-s-o-r-i-o find me at rodsaw236 as always please be sure to check out our show notes for research on black lives matter also be sure to rate review subscribe to the podcast share it with your friend family you can find us on apple spotify anchor and all the other popular platforms we'll be back in a week or so talking about our favorite tv from 2020.